America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. This is a Geek Leader Podcast, and I'm your host, John Rauta. This show is all about helping us grow as leaders, become better technologists, and improve our lives both at work and at home. I hope you enjoy the show and learn a lot. Hello, world, and welcome to episode 206 of Geek Leader Podcast. I'm your host, John Rauda, and today's episode is brought to you by Live at Manning Conferences from Manning Publications. And this conference is coming up on June 15th, 2021, uh, starting at noon Eastern time, live on Twitch, is about developer productivity. We all know that time is that one asset that you can never get back. So once you've lost your time, once time is gone, once you've spent too much time doing something you shouldn't have done, you've lost it and you can't get that back. So what this conference is going to be about is how to get a real boost in your efficiency. Um, we're going to talk or, or listen to um, developers and other speakers talk about good coding practices, effective development methodologies, and some amazing automation tools. I'm super excited about this one, and you can find out more by going to geekleader.com slash productivity. Again, that's geekleader.com slash productivity for the Live at Manning Conference on Developer Productivity. It'll be June 15th, 2021. Again, geekleader.com slash productivity. All right, Geek Leaders, today on the show, I've got Vince Scott, and he is the founder of Defense Cybersecurity Group, where he helps organize and prepare all aspects of cybersecurity compliance uh, and assessments. Um, also, Vince um, has, has a career in the, from the Navy, and I want to say thank you for your service. Really appreciate that. And I want to find out more about how you got to where you are today and what you've been doing. So with all that being said, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. It's uh, great to be here on a Geek Leader. I always like to talk about technology and leadership. I think uh, the two things uh, need to go together very well. And uh, so it's great to be here today. Awesome. Awesome. So if you don't mind, just tell the audience just a little bit about how you got to where you are today and how your career has evolved and transitioned and uh, and what you're doing now. Yeah. So I, my you know, I consider myself to be incredibly lucky. I, I've had some absolutely fabulous opportunities. Uh, I'm a Naval Academy guy. Uh, I was one of the first computer science major graduates out of the Naval Academy. I uh, went to sea in ships for, for six years, uh, uh, several deployments, first Gulf War. Uh, and then I fell into the clutches of the National Security Agency and uh, uh, became a US Navy cryptologist. So the, the US Navy is a little different. Uh, from the other services in that we keep an officer career field uh, de- dedicated to cryptology, uh, primary, uh, you know, offensive and defensive, primarily offensive signals intelligence, going all the way back to the Second World War, breaking the German and Japanese uh, naval codes, very important to the Navy, and the Navy has maintained a, a, a robust capability in that regard. The other services do as well, but I think the, the Navy has some advantages in how they've constructed their people aspect of that. Uh, so I, I did that for the rest of my career. Um, 
Uh, I was the cryptologist for special operations on 9-11, uh, went over and became uh, a part of the staff for U.S. Central Command Wars in the Middle East, um, uh, retired uh, out of uh, U.S. European Command as the Deputy Chief of Intelligence Collection for Europe and, and parts of Africa. So I, um, um, you know, moving on from there, I retired in 2010. Uh, and really have, have sort of bounced around. I, I started out at Oklahoma State University uh, in their multispectral laboratory. I moved on uh, to uh, Procter & Gamble where I uh, started and ran their uh, How Do We Know When We've Been Hacked and What Do We Do About It uh, crew. Uh, did PwC, so got my big four consulting ticket punched for a little while. And uh, now I'm kind of back in the, the technology space space here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, where I have several hats. Uh, I'm the uh, chief security officer for a medium-sized defense contractor in Tulsa and Ohio, uh, STI Tech. And I am the founder of Defense Cybersecurity Group, which is uh, my new company focused on uh, cyber compliance for defense contractors, uh, defense industrial base. And then uh, also have some other, you know, ventures I'm working in the, the technology space with with partners and and like-minded people. So it's it's a an interesting ride, and I'm kind of I'm spread far and wide right now. <laughs> Sounds like it. So um, you you picked a good field, I'd say, because you know cybersecurity being as um, prevalent and important, and just seems to be increasing every year. There's there's more and more um, stuff going on, and um, you know just recently I saw the article this weekend about the the ransomware on the, the pipeline uh, shutting down, which, you know, when people hear this, it would be a couple weeks out, but um, there's it, always something new in the news when it comes to security. And there are also privacy. You have regulations that people are doing with GDPR in, in Europe and, and now California Privacy Act. And where is our federal government going to roll out when it comes to privacy? You know, what's, what's, what the, what's that going to look like? Um, and what are your thoughts on, on all that's going on in the, what seems to be, I don't know if it's, it's more reporting or if it's more activity, with the increase in cyber, uh, I guess for a better term, cyber events that are going on. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't know that it's really an increase for me. I think the volume has been uh, pretty high for a while. Mm -hmm. We've seen uh, a migration of where that activity was at. You know, I think five or six years ago, uh, much more so in the privacy space. Uh, you look at things like the Equifax hack, right, and, you know, privacy information and identity theft and that kind of stuff. Uh, ransomware has come along in, in that time, and uh, holding your information for ransom has become uh, more of a thing. Uh, I think we're seeing changes in that space now from actually encrypting your information on site and and more focus on the I've stolen your information and if you don't want me to leak your information then you need to pay me sort of a different form of ransom um, but in many ways uh, ransomware is I almost think the friend of cybersecurity because it doesn't take detection, right? I, I, I walk into companies and, and they go, well, tell me where I've ever been hacked. Um, I had a Fortune 200 company do that to me uh, when I was consulting. And I took a Friday afternoon and say, how about this six times this week? And they were really upset with me. <laughs> that was that was not the truth they were looking for, right? Yeah. 
wait a minute no 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 you no it was it was really funny um <laughs> maybe in retrospect it's really funny <laughs> at the time it was they were kind of upset but yeah. the, the point being you know guys you can't you can't make that assumption and and in many ways i think the most nefarious hacks and the hacks that are potentially most destructive most harmful to small business small medium and large businesses and critical infrastructure etc are the ones that we don't know about mm-hmm. right and so I think that's a that's a critical gap, and in some ways, ransomware at at the very least, people know that bad things have happened. Uh, they're forced to think about it. They're forced to move in the direction of uh, better defensive capabilities. Um, uh, and and as painful as it is, I think that uh, in some ways, ransomware is at least helping us recognize the problem and uh, do some more more about it yeah yeah absolutely i think um it's one of those things where and i love the fact that the media is reporting on it quite a bit because it it makes it a little bit easier for us as leaders in technology to get budgets for it and to to prepare for it and to to talk, talk to our ceo on a more regular basis about the threats that exist every day without you know sounding paranoid um you're but, only paranoid if they're really not all out to get you. Yeah, but they are. <laughs> <laughs> but they are, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, having, having been through um, some cyber events in the past, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it can be unexpected and, um, and very trying when it happens if you're not well prepared. Yeah, I think preparation is a key. Um, one thing that we do do in that space, I think a lot of times we prepare for the big one. And there's a analog scale between uh, small problems and big problems and and everything in between. Uh, In in some ways, I consider this to be broken windows policing, right? So the the theory behind broken windows policing is if you go check out broken windows and and are aggressive on the small things, there are fewer big things. And I think there's some good data that supports that as as a methodology, right? And then... From a cyber perspective, if we are aggressive about following up on the small things, right, um, and and pushing that envelope all the time, looking for problems continuously, really having a strong detection capability so that we can go take action on those things, that really, really helps your, your cyber defense, your resiliency. It really re- lowers your risk of having bad things, having the big one occur, right? Um, and it's it's awfully hard. I talk about the the biggest problem in cybersecurity being the truth we don't want to know, mm-hmm. and in detection, oftentimes is the truth we won't don't want to know. Nobody wants to know that they've been hacked. Back to my my C story, right? When have I ever been hacked? How about this six times this week? Um, nobody really wants to say, oh my my defenses aren't adequate or we didn't, we were not configured the way we thought we were or any of those things that lead to cyber insecurity. Right. And, uh, uh, but we need to do that. We need to, we need to push on that constantly. That's what makes us better. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And w- what is your thoughts and take on um, like, you know, the, the people being, you know, in training and everybody having to have a part of it. Cause I know I've seen so many stories about how, you know, somebody in marketing or sales reuse their password from their LinkedIn account to their, uh, you know, Microsoft 360. Yeah. Yeah. Corporate account. And, and 
LinkedIn had a breach and they took that and figure out who their email address was from LinkedIn and use that to log into their Office 365 account and, you know, whatever. Yep. Um, yeah, how, how do we as technical leaders um, educate and convey the importance of education to our peers and the other C-level and uh, vice presidents that are in, within our organization? Yeah, I, I think training... Uh, I, has a real place in, in how we form our cybersecurity, you know, model, right? The, I find that CEOs are more open to training. And I think there's a lot of things that we can do in that regard that aren't terribly expensive, right? Uh, sending an email to the workforce once a month, isn't that expensive? Um, you know, if it's stupid and it works, it's not stupid. Um, mm -hmm. There, there's, there's certainly great commercial capabilities out there. Uh, companies like FishMe and others in a similar vein who really test your phishing knowledge and have the, the capability to make you very high speed in this regard. And, and for those companies that can afford those kinds of capabilities, I think that's a great uh, avenue to go down, a way to, to bolster and sort of make uh, more efficient and effective your training regimen. But for smaller companies, maybe that's that's all it is and you know my current sti tech hat uh that's what we do uh we we send an email once a month to the workforce uh that's something that's come up in the last month i never run short of something to talk about cyber that has happened in the last month um and maybe that's that's something really simple um and maybe it's something that's in the news. Maybe it's something I saw happen in the environment. Uh, there's always a lesson learned to, to be shared. And I think that sort of regular drumbeat keeps it on the employee's mind and um, helps them uh, be able to report things when they see things go wrong. That's an important aspect. Hey, I don't know about this. This happened. I clicked. I'm not sure. That's always good input, right? And... Uh, you know, that, that monthly email uh, costs the time uh, that I take and the trading manager take to push it, put it together and send it out, which is minimal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, staying, so, so with something like what, what just happened with the, the pipeline ransomware, is that one of those things where you should use the event that happened in another company <laughs> to kind of show that, hey, this could happen here too. We want to, you know, push, you know, let people know that this is happening because um, if you don't hear about these stories, you know, and maybe I just hear about it because I'm in technology, but if, if people don't hear about the, the things that are happening in the news when it comes to cyber events that, that are out there, um, are, are they thinking that maybe it's less likely to happen to them? Yeah, I the pipeline one is a big one. And, and my problem with using the pipeline one for the monthly training is that everybody will go, well, it's a pipeline. Does that really affect me? I think it, it's kind of seen as a niche industry, whether the, the yeah. impact is the same or not. Uh, I actually picked my one this morning. I saw it come across one of my feeds. Uh, QBot, top of the list for the last five months for credential theft, uh, uh, malware. And that's one of those ones that doesn't necessarily encrypt you. Uh, it's enabling uh, confidentiality attacks. Uh, they had in there that normally that comes in a... Uh, email phishing, a zipped up file, and they've been seeing these kind of naming conventions for that. I'm going to send that out to my workforce, right? Hey, 
when you be aware of zip files can be really be dangerous. So before you click to unzip a file, you need to really think about it. And by the way, here's something the environment is seeing a lot recently uh, that that does credential stealers. And here's why those are bad. It'll probably be a couple of paragraphs and talk a little bit about, hey, look for zip files and look for this sort of naming convention. Bad. Uh, you you all know what phishing at sditech.com looks like, right? So report your phishing events like we've been talking about. And uh, you know, let me know if you see anything like this. I think that will resonate with the employees and it, it's something that that came across my wire that's relevant, that's current, um, and in general is a spin on don't click the link, don't click the link, don't click the link. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of follow, follows that same reiteration of, of the message that you've been, been giving. Yeah, but I can twist a little bit, make it a little <laughs> bit more interesting, a little bit more engaging than I told him to not click the link again this month. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, tell me a little bit about how like your career in the Navy, and um, it, it was really interesting you talked about cryptology because uh, when I was in high school, um, I was part of the uh, junior Navy ROTC program. And mm-hmm. uh, and when I took the ASVAB, uh, I, I ranked kind of high in the crypt- cryptography uh, area, um, but but didn't didn't take that path for my, my future. But how, how has the military helped you in, um, in leadership when it comes to your career outside of the military? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, first of all, I'd like to say that I love my Navy cryptologic community. For anybody out there who's thinking about going the path you were, Navy CT, great community. Absolutely love it. A lot of interesting things that go on in that community. Um, from a leadership perspective, um, for me, uh, I was a computer science kid in high school, mm-hmm. right? Programmer, took all the computer courses I could. Um, very introverted uh technical person right uh when i took my myers-briggs personality test on inchomp at the naval academy uh, i maxed out on i introvert for the first characteristic and i I also took that test when i retired and i was going through the actually the air force's executive uh transition program and uh they made me take it again and i was balanced E and I, which is extrovert, introvert, were, were actually equal. And that was all learned behavior for me in the military from a leadership perspective. Um, you know, certainly in the military, the, the leadership aspect is valued and taught a great deal. Um, in some ways, I feel like I've learned uh, just as much over the last 10 years being out of the military as, as I did when I was in the military. Um, it is a little different in the civilian workforce than it is in the military workforce, but it's not as different as many people who who have no military experience think. Um, in the military, there's a lot of cubicle living, and uh, we all live in cubicles now. And uh, uh, so, so many of the same things occur in the military construct uh, that occur in any business, right? Uh, I, I certainly have run across some hiring managers who think uh, that there's a vast gulf there. Uh, I had a hiring manager from a, a major corporation at one point um, ask me, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to lead people when you can't just give them orders? I was appointed. I decided I didn't want to work for that company, but I promise you that person will never ask that question again um, because I made them feel about this big when I got done with them. Hmm. Um, it, just a dumb question, 
right? Because uh, outside some very narrow circumstances um, that I can, and I can think of a couple of them, you know, having the deck on the bridge of a ship uh, in the middle of a storm. Uh, yeah, not a lot of asking your opinion on how, you know, a lot of given orders, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, real combat operations where missiles and bullets are flying and things are going down. Uh, and, and you are the, you know, the person with the responsibility, accountability and authority in certain areas. Uh, yeah, maybe a lot of order giving in that very narrow circumstance as well. But for the rest of the time, for the other 20 years, um, yeah, it, it really is very similar to uh, corporate America, right? You have a hierarchy, you have a budget, you have a boss, you have reports you need to turn in, you have stuff you need to do. Um, it, it really looks a lot like uh, many aspects of, of large corporations and just giving orders is, is not a successful leadership technique, right? You have to uh, motivate, bring along, uh, work with a broad and diverse set of people. Uh, in some ways, that's even more challenging than it is in the civilian workforce because at the end of the day, there's not much firing that goes on in the military. Right. Generally, <laughs> you get what you get, right? It's, yeah. You've got these 10 people and you need to make lemonade out of any lemons you got in there because those are the people you got and you got to maximize uh, what they're going to bring to the table to help you get your mission done and, and switching them out isn't an option. You don't get to pick. Uh, you don't get to decide now this one isn't working out. Let's go hire again. Nope. Doesn't happen. <laughs> you need to make that work. So that I think really challenges you from a leadership perspective to learn uh, how to deal with people and uh, how to make them as successful as possible. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. I never really thought about the fact that you, you don't have the same, um, recruiting pool that you get when you're hiring for a position and uh this is a civilian life and you don't get to uh really fire someone if they're underperforming you kind of have to motivate them encourage them and and figure out a way to make it happen (laughs) you Uh, gotta figure out a way yeah that seems i I didn't really think about that so what are some of the um uh the the things that have carried over when it comes to that that motivation because you know everybody hates firing people they hate to get rid of people um we always want to try to find a way to make it work what are some some tips that you might have for leaders that that may be struggling with um especially now with covid you have a kind of a limited um sometimes a limited pool of, yep. of, of people to come back um, so what, what are some tips that you have for for making things work and motivating people in a way to uh to get the job done um when they may or may not be performing at their best right now yep i i think um uh, the number one word in leadership that we don't use generally uh, is love. You got to generally care about your people, care about other people, care about what's going on in their life, uh, care about the challenges they have, uh, care about them as a person and an individual. Um, we all have our challenges. We all have our things we don't do well. Uh, we all have, uh, you know, times in our life when we haven't been motivated and, and, you know, it's a struggle to get out of bed and come to work in the morning, uh, whatever those things are, right? Uh, I think generally caring about them is, is a great starting point. The second thing I would say is uh, finding the right seat on the bus is the key for every person. Yeah. So, so, and maybe the seat that they're in today isn't the right seat on the bus, 
is this the right seat for you? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe there's another, you know, can I build another seat that maximizes what this person brings to the table um, and the capabilities and things that they can bring to our overarching mission and make them as successful as possible? And to the extent that you can do that as a leader, uh, you're going to be winning. You're going to be getting the most out of your people um, that you can. Uh, driving home a uh, square peg into a round hole uh, never really works real well. Right. Uh, you're unhappy. The employee is unhappy. Uh, the mission isn't getting done. All those things are, are, are problematic. So I think looking at the people that you have and saying, if there's a problem, if there's a, an underperformance issue, I care about this person, first off. And then the second question is, are they in the right seat on the bus? Is that the right place for them? Is there something, some other place in my organization that uh, maybe they fit better? Now. Sometimes you come up to and go, oh, hey, I don't know if there's a seat on my bus, right? Um, and But I think to the extent that you do that with care and uh, concern for the individual and, and you know, rather than, you know, get out of here, you're not getting the job done. Um, hey, do you really think this is this company or the, you know, the organization we have here is the place for you. And, and is that really what you want to do with your life? And are you really happy? And, and a lot of times, um, you know, people will go, Oh my God, thank goodness. Uh, somebody finally recognized that I'm a fish out of water here. What I'd really like to do is blah, 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 blah. Okay. So what do you, what are you doing to, you know, work with that person to say, what are you doing to move in the direction that that's going to, you know, fulfill you and bring you the career roles that you really want? Oh, well, man, that's a different conversation. And, and along the way, you've now motivated that person, even if they're not thrilled and excited in the best place and all that stuff in, in your organization, uh, they're probably going to be more productive and better suited for you. And at the point where they say, hey, you know, I found this thing that I really want to go do. Um, maybe that's good for everybody. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, recognizing that and being transparent, I think transparency is one of the important things that are, that's kind of left out sometimes too, because you feel like, I, well, I don't want to tell this person that they're don't seem to be in the right place or they're not in the right seat on the bus because uh, you don't want to hurt their feelings. But yep. I think, I think being transparent, bringing things to the forefront that, that we both know about, you know, um, talking about the elephant in the room is an important aspect. And it's one of those things that gets easier over time. The more time you work with someone and you have those one-on-ones or um, you build that relationship um, um, with your team members, I think that that helps, helps those things become a little bit easier to, to talk about and to have those conversations. Yeah, that's a great point, John. I, I, there's no replacement for integrity in that process, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, you know, and you know, it's one of those things that I, I kind of take for granted when you go to the service academies. That's one of the things they found in uh, from day one, right? And uh, it potentially is not as emphasized, I think, in the in the modern context as much as it as it should be. Uh, integrity is a, a bedrock key for that, and if those people you work with know that you have integrity mm -hmm. um that you're not and that you care about them that conversation about hey is this really working out for you i'm not sure that this is you know the right uh the right spot for you or whatever that conversation however that conversation develops that becomes much easier when they can go i know that he cares and and i know that he has integrity when he's talking to me yeah uh, you know it makes me think i remember i had an employee during a one-on-one -on -one, um just 
be upfront and open and tell me one day, yeah, I just want you to know um, ahead of time that I'm looking for another job, you know, because I'm just not happy here. You know, it's nothing about you. It's about this, this, and this. What can I do to make sure that when I leave here, I have a good, you know, reference from you going forward? And if you get the call, you know, it's one of those things that I've never, never ever thought that an employee would tell me that, hey, I'm looking for another job. So I want you to be a good reference for me. But I think, you, like you said, when you have that integrity and you build that relationship, they feel like they're, you know, they have the the ability to trust you that you're not going to just drop them and backfill their position um, because they're still going to work. They're still going to put forth the effort and they just wanted to be upfront, honest with you that this is coming, you know? Um, right. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a great point. You clearly built the safe space there mm-hmm. where that person felt comfortable telling you that, which is awesome. Um, I think that's a, that, that indicates that there was a lot of uh, groundwork laid there before that conversation occurred. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things that it doesn't happen uh, instantly. And I think, uh, you know, I used to have an episode one time about trust. Trust doesn't come from a title. It comes from time. You know, you have to spend that time to to develop the relationship, to build um, trust. It's not going to come just because you're the boss. Yeah. No. Well, I, I'm I'm a huge um, Covey fan. Uh, trust is built on character and competence, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You got you got to know your business. And uh, you, you've got to you have that integrity that goes along with that. Those two things uh, really build trust. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, competency and being good at what you do or, or at least being aware of the things that you need to be aware of in an industry like cybersecurity, where, where things are changing, you know, pretty rapidly when it comes to the, there's new attacks, new events and, yep. you know. Uh, you know, it's all I can do to listen to the cyberwire and try to stay on top of what's going on. <laughs> that is also my favorite uh, source of information. Uh, I read the cyberwire daily, every day. Yeah, yeah. I had uh, Dave Bittner on um, a while back. We, we talked a little bit about that. But um, what, what else can we do to stay on top of the growing trends and not get complacent? And, and you know, because as a leader, sometimes we get to the point where we've made that decision of, of moving between an individual contributor and, and doing a technical job to now I'm growing people. I'm focusing on the people side, but I still got to stay competent. I still got to stay, you know, got to keep my edge. What are some things that we can do to to stay on top of what's happening in the industry and continue to learn? Yeah, so I think, uh, number one, uh, my personal view, leadership is a technical skill in shorter supply. So leadership is a technical skill. Um, It is something you develop, John, you described, you know, some of your learning and pursuit of leadership, uh, leadership techniques, et cetera. Once you've made the decision to go that route, uh, I think that is absolutely what people need to do. So if you come up in the technical ranks and now you're a frontline supervisor, um, you can grow your leadership skills. Uh, that is one of the skills that that you need to grow your competence in, and and reading and staying up to date in that technical area is as important as the other technical areas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I already mentioned uh, uh, being a, a Stephen Covey fan. Uh, I'll give my number one leadership book uh, of all time is Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I highly recommend that for everybody. If you haven't read it. Uh, it's worth taking the time as as a new leader uh, to put it on your on your shelf and 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 work your way through it. I, th- I think it's absolutely fabulous. On the on the technical skills side, competence in your in your technical area or your IT area, um, there's really a balance in that and how you remain technically savvy enough. Um, 
but maybe not so much that you can turn all the knobs, right? Because you don't have time to turn all the knobs. Right. Uh, the, the key to leadership is accomplishing the mission through people, right? And it's not about you configuring the the new firewall. It's about your folks configuring the new firewall well in a, in a good fashion. Uh, one of the things in that, and, and as you pointed out, the, the technology changes. I, I was saying this to somebody the other day that just because somebody's been do, in this business for 10 years or 20 years really doesn't mean much because honestly, the, the time horizon for technical learning is probably about two years or three years. Um, and beyond that time horizon, we're, we're changing the way we do this so significantly that, uh, that those deeper experiences are far less relevant. Right. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I agree hundred percent. Sometimes I'll tell people, they'll say, well, he's got 10 years of experience. I said, well, is it really 10 years of experience or is it one year of experience 10 times? Because, you know, if, if you're not <laughs> learning something new, you're just kind of doing it, repeating that same thing. Well, in, in, in what you did in 2010 to 2013 from a uh, cybersecurity perspective, that probably looks very different today. There's been significant changes. I had a, uh, I was, part of a was supposed to be just observing in a proposal a, a telecon pro interview proposal with a, a federal agency so uh the the inter the federal interviewer was talking about mechanisms for doing pen testing that were maybe 10 years old mm -hmm. and so i tripped to the fact that he was asking about techniques and trying to drive on and for answers for techniques that were prior to the experience of the younger crowd that we had giving the presentation who were extremely technically competent and far better than me, but was able to sort of help them through this because I, I oh, now I get it. Um, and, and it was a case of the federal government just not advancing, keeping up with modern techniques, right? Mm -hmm. So so that, that older, uh, the speed of change, right, in cyber, and NIT is is just phenomenal. Uh, rolling back up to what's the so what's my answer for how you stay technically competent in that? Uh, I think the the ultimate answer is asking good questions. Yeah. So you aren't as a leader the 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 person who has got their hands on the technology is probably going to have more information than you you need to change your technique from the guy who absolutely has or gal who has the right answer to the person who asks the right question based on your knowledge and your experience and your understanding of the technology and you should be working to to stay generally familiar with the technology and how it works you need to be able to ask good questions because one of the things that will happen is uh your your technical lead will come to you with a wrong answer mm -hmm. they'll say it absolutely has to be done this way or it absolutely can't be done that way and really that's not the case or the whole truth and nothing but the truth <laughs> maybe it's the only way they know how to do it or they don't know how to do that so it can't be done right um and and you've got to be able to ask good questions around that to drive uh sort of third order solutions right they come to you and say hey the options are a and b um that doesn't explain to me why xyz technology doesn't still do this 
right? Um, or you mean there's no capability to do that? Let's go back and investigate a capability to do this, blah, blah, blah. I, I find a lot of times when um, I'm being boxed into a, a technology box uh, by my by highly skilled technology people, <laughs> that ants asking that, that question, which is, hey, what do I need to do? It, it, what gives me a third answer uh, is, is a really good method. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I think when it comes to, you know, asking those good questions and knowing how to ask in a way that doesn't seem like you're micromanaging is another important thing to do because, you know, people want, they, they want to share, but they want to do it in a way that you're not, um, you know, quizzing them or whatever you want to make sure you're doing in a way that they're teaching you and they're helping you, um, um, you know, they're, they're sharing their knowledge and they get to explain it and they get to present it in a way that that's, that's a positive um, aspect for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it needs to be different questions. You need to be open to being wrong. Yeah, right. absolutely. You need to be open to new data. You, I, I'm, but I also need to ask hard questions mm-hmm. as, as the leader from a technology perspective because we can't fall into that trap because I don't know how to do it. It can't be done. Mm-hmm. Or because this is the way I know how to do it. That's the only way it can be done. And oftentimes, either one of those is is not a good answer for IT or the enterprise or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's you know it, it goes back to ego, right? Because you you want to make sure that you you have the right to be <laughs> to, to be wrong. You know, you need to um, not have the ego in front of you. Um, I think it was. Uh, it was actually somebody from the Navy that I had on the podcast, uh, Coach Havlick, and um, he talked a lot about. Um, um, your your ego and, and making sure that that's one of the, the worst things that a leader can have is a big ego. Um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, um, some of the things that you're doing when it comes to helping uh, companies um, understand the, the regulation when working for the government, Department of Defense and things like that and contractors. Um, what are some things that that if, if I was starting a company or working for a company that wanted to get into that market that we need to know about? Yeah, so uh, the Department of Defense, uh, as we've talked a little bit about the pipeline hack, but you also had solar winds and several other things, mm-hmm. Department of Defense has developed uh, yet another uh, framework uh, for cybersecurity maturity, uh, and it's called the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. Uh, it comes out of Carnegie Mellon, if anybody's familiar with the CMMI that also came out of Carnegie Mellon as a, as a management approach to software development. Uh, you'll, you'll recognize many aspects of it, uh, and they have bolted on NIST uh, 800-171 uh, specific security controls or security requirements on the top of that. And now they have said to all of the defense industrial base, you are going to be assessed on your maturity uh, once every three years by an independent assessor. Uh, that is a, a enormous change for companies across the board in the defense industrial base. Uh, it does not go to just prime contractors. It also winds its way all the way down to uh, the ultimate subcontractor is the DOD's idea. They don't have good visibility below the prime contractor in general, in my view, uh, but that's their desire is is to have that, that those requirements flow all the way down. And so as, as you move forward, it, so if you are in the defense industrial base, you sell to the DOD or you sell through to the DOD, uh, you need to be concerned about CMMC and be thinking about your plan uh, to prepare for independent assessments 
uh, in the future. Uh, they want to have this fully implemented by 2025. Uh, the first pilot uh, contracts that require it are supposed to be let this year. And so it is a very hard standard. Uh, it's actually very exacting as um, put out by the Department of Defense and being enforced by the Defense Contract Management Agency. So you re it, it, it takes preparation, it takes time, you need to think ahead. And really, it's going to require everybody to up their game across the board and from a cyber perspective. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like um, something that if you're getting that, that space, you got to learn a lot about and figure out. Um, I guess that's where you come in, right? Yeah, no, uh, my company, <laughs> Defense Cybersecurity Group, I'm here yeah. to uh, help uh, primarily small and medium-sized businesses yeah. uh, that need assistance in this space. Uh, it can be very challenging uh, to even understand the requirements sometimes. Uh, there are uh, books and books on this, right? There are pages and pages of requirements. Uh, and the fact that you're going to be independently assessed now really adds teeth to those requirements. So you can't just previously you, you self-attested to your cyber preparation, uh, which really equated to nobody did anything in cyber. Uh, it was largely ignored in the defense industrial base because they didn't have a, a requirement with teeth. Uh, the teeth have very clearly been added now. And so as a small or medium-sized business who works in that space, you absolutely should have a plan uh, on, there are multiple levels. One, what level do you think you're going to need to be? And then how you're going to achieve that level before your risk of losing contracts raises too high. So full implementation is one October, 2025, uh, start of fiscal year 26. But Every year, they're going to add more contracts to the list that require it. So it's 15 contracts this year. I think it's 75 contracts next year. It's, you know, 150 contracts a year after that. So as they move forward, they're adding a larger and larger per percentage of the overall contract uh, publication for the year to that. At some point, you're probably going to intersect with a contract who, that, that you care about that has that requirement. And we're already starting to see prime contractors are already starting to uh, flow these requirements down and say, hey, get ready. Where are you at with this, et cetera? So I know a lot of small and medium-sized businesses who don't sell directly to the government are already hearing from the big primes about their need for preparation. Awesome. So how can people connect with you and, um, and find out more information if they want to? Yeah, my website is www.cyber.com. S-E-C-G-R-U, secru.com. Uh, the old Naval Cryptologist command was Naval Security Group, and we always called it secru. So this is cyber secru. Um, and uh, my uh, there's contact information on the webpage. Uh, you can reach out to me directly. Uh, it's a, I'm, I'm a small business there too, so I see all of that traffic. Uh, please feel free to reach out. Uh, love to help companies uh, prepare and love to talk to anybody. I'll get on the phone with you and, and give you an initial talk through. Uh, and if there's more help that you think you need, we can then talk about that. Awesome. And uh, Vince, man, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And thank you again for your service. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. And uh, thanks for having me on. If you enjoyed that episode, please uh, leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. I'd greatly appreciate that. And also don't forget to check out merch. We have some t-shirts that uh, I've designed that are on at geekleader.com. Um, you can click on the merchandise uh, section there and check that out. And also don't forget about the books from our guests. So if you like this guest and other guests that have written books, please um, go ahead and check that out at geekleader.com. I would greatly appreciate it, and I'm sure they would too.
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.